This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. This is Gordon Teeson, along with my co-host, Josh Cumston. Today we'll be playing a portion of a message from Chad Haygood. He's a senior pastor at Grace Fellowship Church in Hastings, Nebraska. Recently, he spoke to our seniors as we had a senior retreat from the Nebraska Christian Schools. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that this would certainly be, be true of me, that this text would convict me and change my heart. Lord, we, we want to be, as Your children, marked by the same characteristics that You display. And Your Word says that You are love. And so I just pray You would make us into a loving people to love one another and love you. So God, please, please work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I'm being honest, this, this is a passage of Scripture that has been meaningful to me over the last real couple of years because as I have made minor steps in my growth over the last couple of years, it's been in, in comprehending what it means to really be a child of God and what it means to walk as Christ walked. And as we see this being played out in Scripture, we see that one of the defining characteristics that we see of the children of God is that we are people, if we are Christians, we are people who love. We love God and we love one another. This is so important. This is so important to see that the clearest distinction that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, that we are Christ, that we have been united to Him, yes, is our putting to death sin, but it's our living out lives of love. And as we see this idea being played out in Scripture, we see it being really important to John, who's writing this. He repeats it several times throughout this letter. In chapter 2, he said this, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light that is in Christ and hates his brother, is still in the darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then in chapter 3, we hear this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It goes on to say, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. How do you know if you've passed out of death into life? How do you know if you've been united to Jesus' resurrection? Because you love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then again, in what we just read here in chapter 4, in this relatively short letter that's written, we see this instruction repeated time and again. And we, we need to grasp the reality of this, this truth so much so that it's cemented in our hearts and that we would be people who are marked by love for one another. We need this instruction. This should be so important to us. And here we see in these six verses that John is speaking about this great and big topic of love. And we can see how big and how important it is to him because in these six verses, he uses the word agape. We've heard that word before, right? That agape love, agape just means love. It's a, you know, you hear agape love. That word love in the Greek or its root is used. 13 times in these six verses. That's over twice per verse. He's saying it just so loud and clear from our text. John is telling us God is love and those who have been given His love will love one another. And this is not an easy thing to grasp and it's certainly not an easy thing to live out. That we would be people, if we're Christians that are marked by care and love and devotion to one another in a a Christ-honoring fashion, in a Christ-honoring demonstration of love and grace. That's what should mark us. I know when I was your age, that was not what what marked my life. My life was marked by, by selfishness, by greed, and by pride. My life was marked by arrogance. I was all about, all about me. I wanted what I wanted, and I was willing to, to do what, whatever, whatever it meant to make me happy. If it meant disrespecting other people, if it meant using other people, if it meant disregarding other people, if it meant ignoring other people, whatever it was, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to me because I, I was consumed with myself. And what that just shows is that I was not a Christian because Christians are marked by love because God is love. And if He has given us His love, then we will also be marked by love. And we see this because God, first, God is the source of love. Verse 7, for love is from God. Verse 8, Because God is love. Here is one of the most staggering verses in all the Bible. 
One of the most amazing verses in all the Bible. Verse 8 has a phrase that we just quoted that has huge implications on the way that we view God and the way that we view our lives as Christians. Our, Our minds, your mind should be blown away by three words. God is love. That should rock our world. That should blow our minds away. What does it mean to say that God is love? Now, this verse does not say that, that God loves. It doesn't say that God is loving. No, He's certainly both of those. But rather, it says that God is love. It means that His very being is love. Love is a part of the essence of God. God's nature is love. One person said, you cannot think of God without love. God in the very essence of His nature and being is love. And you cannot think of God and must not think of Him except in terms of love. Everything that God is and does is colored by this. All God's actions have this aspect of love in them and the aspect of light in the same way. That is how God always manifests Himself. Light and love. And God has always been this way from eternity past as He loved Jesus before the foundation of the world. The Spirit of love between the two is the Holy Spirit. So the the Trinity has always existed in, in love. Perfect love. And when we love one another with the love that God has given us, we share in this fellowship of the Trinity. John 17 says... I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. We love because God is the, the source of love, and if we are connected to the source, if we are abiding in that source, then that love will be manifested certainly in our lives. But then secondly, our love for one another proves our salvation. It's made clear. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This command, it comes to us immediately. Let us love one another. And it's followed by this, whoever loves has been born by God. Now we know that this language of being born of God, it's speaking about salvation, being regenerated, speaking about a new birth in Christ. This is our being brought again from death to life through the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Spirit is displayed when we love one another. This means that that love is the distinctive mark of the Christian. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, without love we have nothing. We have nothing if we don't have love. You may have all the knowledge in the Bible. All of the knowledge about the Bible. You may, and nobody has that, but if you were to, and you may have all of these acts that you have performed, you may have 
even done things for other people. You may have, have gifts that are just remarkable. You may have talents that are phenomenal. And you may have knowledge that surpasses everyone. But if, if you don't have love, you have nothing. You have nothing before God. One famous preacher, you would do well to, to remember his name. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, I do not hesitate, therefore, to say that the ultimate test of our profession of the Christian faith is, I believe, the whole question of our loving one another. Indeed, I do not hesitate to say that it is a more vital test than our orthodoxy. It is possible for a person to be absolutely correct and yet not to be a Christian. It is possible for men and women to give perfect intellectual assent to the propositions that are be found in the Bible. It is possible for them to be interested in theology and to say that one theology is superior to another and to accept and defend and argue about it and yet to be utterly devoid of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the love of God in their hearts. The ultimate test of our whole position is this question of love. We must love one another. If God has breathed His Spirit in us, and God is love, then we must love one another. We can't help but to do it. If it's not there then I'm not a Christian. I've never been born again. Next, it proves our salvation and our love for one another proves that we know God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now what John's talking about here, he's not talking about just this intellectual knowledge, but a true biblical knowing. It's an intimate knowing similar to God's knowledge of us. If God is love, and we intimately know Him, then we should love as well. If we have no love in us, then that can only mean we have no knowledge of God in us. And this should also mean that as we, we grow, as we grow in our intimacy with God, we should grow in our love for one another. One said, the person who fails to commune with God in prayer and neglects to read the Bible cannot be the instrument through which God demonstrates His divine love. And then next, our love for one another is motivated by God's love for us. John also gives us the, the motivation for loving one another. It comes from God and is motivated by the gospel. It's in verses 9 through 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God not only gave His love to His Son, but He also manifested that love among us. He sent Jesus into the world as a demonstration of His love. We hear this echoing John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Here in these verses we see 
Again, the Trinity at work. God sins, Jesus dies, and the Spirit brings life. And the, the love of, of all three persons of the Trinity is manifested to us. That's amazing. And this, this gospel that we see played out before our eyes right here in this text, it motivates our love. Because what do we learn about God's love here? One, it's sacrificial. It's a sacrificial love. And if we love as God loves, we will love in a sacrificial means. That means if we love a classmate, we're willing to sacrifice of ourselves for their good. To encourage them. To build them up. We may sacrifice our our own popularity, we may sacrifice our time, we may sacrifice our effort, we may sacrifice our desires because, you know, it would really be easier just to go on and do our other thing rather than, than helping this person or serving this person. But yet, God's love for us was a sacrificial love. He loved us by giving His Son to us and for us and if we are going to be marked by the same love that God has, we're, our love for one another is going to be a, a sacrificial love, willing to, to give of our, of our reputation, give of our desires, give our effort, give our time, give our money if necessary, to care for someone else, to love them and to, to see them encouraged and, and built up. The second way I think this, the gospel should motivate our love is that this is a forgiving love. The love that God has demonstrated to us through the gospel is a forgiving love. How much have we been forgiven by the love of God? All of the sins that, that I could name and the multitude of sins that I could never name, I could never remember. And yet God has wiped the slate clean to declare us to be forgiven and acceptable in His sight. Declared us to be redeemed. God's love is certainly a forgiving love. And if we're going to imitate the love of God with our brothers, with our neighbors, then we should be a forgiving people. We'll forgive other people when they wrong us. Because let's be honest. I mean, we're all humans. And if there's one thing that's true about two humans being together is that there's just there's a multiplied there's multiplied sin that exists in that room and so we're gonna wrong one another. You know, you're gonna one person is gonna speak badly about another classmate. One classmate may do something selfishly to the detriment of another classmate. You may act foolishly and detrimentally to, to the good of the entire group or to your team or to whatever it may be. And so how are we going to love one another? Well, we'll love by forgiving. By forgiving that person. By forgiving someone when they act foolishly. By forgiving someone when they act sinfully. By forgiving someone when they act selfishly. Even to our own detriment. That we'll look and say, Hey, I love you. It's okay, I forgive you. Why, why would we act that way? Why would anyone act that way if, if someone 
messes up to cause a team to lose a game? Why would we act with a forgiving love? Why would we love one another if, you know, someone were to speak badly and gossip about us and were to get back to us? That, hey, I can't believe you said something about me like that. Why would we forgive someone? Because that's exactly the way that God relates to us. That's exactly what the gospel has demonstrated to us and done in us. That we've been forgiven for a multitude of multitude of sins. And as Christians, we live that gospel out by, by loving one another. And then thirdly, I think it motivates our love by demonstrating an undeserved love. Everyone to whom God's love has been demonstrated outside of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was an undeserved love. The love that I have received from God and the love that if you're a Christian, you have received from God, that's an undeserved love. You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. You don't deserve it. It's undeserved. And yet God abundantly and continually, perpetually gives you His love. Even though we don't deserve it. And how are we going to love one another? Because the reality is none of us deserve love from one another in, in the truest sense of merit. Because we all fail. Friends fail us. Family will fail us. Even teachers may fail us from time to time. I mean, no one is perfect. And so how are we going to walk in a unity and love as a, as a school, as a, as a class, as a team, as a, as, a, as a band, or whatever it is that you participate in? As friends, how are you going to live a life of love? Well, you'll live it by meditating on the gospel. And remember that God's love to you was an undeserved love. And if God has so demonstrated His love to you and called you to live a life of love and grace and compassion and mercy with other people, then, then yes, we can forgive. We can forgive and we can exercise love and compassion toward people who don't even deserve it because of the love and grace that God has shown us. Romans 5.8 but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If God loved us in such a way, we ought to love one another. Matthew 22, 37-39 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Pursue love in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all, if I, give all I have, and if I deliver my, my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
Love is patient. And love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't envy a classmate or a teammate, a friend. Love doesn't boast. Boast in our abilities, in our accomplishments, or our intelligence. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Hanging out with friends on a Saturday night, you really got to get your way because you really want to go to Dairy Queen and everybody else wants to go to Wendy's. It doesn't insist its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't rejoice to see a friend fail. Love doesn't act that way. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And at the end, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And so, my last exhortation to you guys is that in this you guys class of 2013, if we're going to are going to achieve what we want for this school year and in our lives over the next nine months or to a year, then what we want to do, the greatest achievement we can have, is to be like Christ, to walk like Christ. And the way that we'll do that is by apprehending the gospel and by putting to death sin and by walking in love with one another. So if there are no goals that you have for this school year, I mean, if there are none that can compare to those three. No, no academic achievement, no athletic achievement, no social achievement that you can do that would compare to those goals. So let's all, me too, I, I need this. I need to hear that. I need to make love my aim. And so let's do that. Let's make these three our, our persistent goal for this year. And if at the end of the year, if we'll accomplish these three, I promise you, you'll look back and see that your senior year was not time worth wasted. It was a fruitful time. Let me pray for you, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. Lord, I thank You for these students. And I do pray, Lord, for if there are those who are here that don't know You, Lord, I, I, I admit, I don't know their heart, and I, but You do. And I pray that if there are those who don't know You, that You would supernaturally reveal the glory of Jesus and the Gospel to them. And that they would be changed. And that, Lord, the course of their life would be altered because of what You may do by Your grace in them. And Father, for those that do know You, I pray that You would give them, Lord, a, a fruitful year of school this upcoming year. That it would be a blessed time. And Lord, that mostly it would be a time of deeper devotion to You, deeper understanding of Your glory found in the Gospel, deeper conformity to Christ, Lord, a, a deeper fight against sin, and a deeper love for one another. So Father, please do this among all of us so that You would be seen in our lives, that people may see our good works and give glory not to us, but give glory to You, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message by Chad Haygood. He's a senior pastor at Grace Life Fellowship Church. I also want to mention today that there's an opportunity for pastors, elders, church leaders 
to attend a statewide conference on leadership. It's called the Bold Conference. And you can find out information on the internet at www.boldchurchconference.org. It's being hosted by Highland Park Church in Columbus. The featured speaker is Dr. Albert Muller of Southern Seminary. Justin Erickson is a senior pastor at Highland Park Church, and he's been a guest speaker at Nebraska Christian Schools. And we're encouraging everyone to go to the website and encourage their leadership to consider the conference. It's at the end of September, starting the last day in September and going Monday and Tuesday at Highland Park. And again, all the details are at Bold Church conference.org. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Mm-hmm.